it's not a big book, so it's pretty easy to do, but I'm taking my time a little bit because I don't want to jump too fast. We've got a lot of things to go through over the next few weeks, and we get towards the end of this thing, and there's, there's so much taught over the end of it that, that you definitely don't want to, you know, underdo, undersell it or underdo it, whatever you want to say, but it, it just you just definitely need to hammer down some things before we get there. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, around verse 17. Right? This whole thing started the book of Acts. Uh, we start with Paul begin this thing, and as he's began, there's been problems that have come, uh, uh, that basically have, have just happened, and he has to address some things that have taken place, and, and uh, he is uh, he's living in the land of correction and accountability at this stage of the game, and a lot of things he's having to look over. So most of the time when you see him explaining doctrine or when you see him explaining an issue that's happening in the church, just, just be reminded that no church is perfect, not even the church of Ephesus, not our church, uh, that any time you start putting people together in one room, you're going to have problems uh, because people are, are flawed, are flawed. So we'll pick it up verse 17 through 24, reading the Lord's word. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about but, but that isn't what you learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Practical stuff here. Very practical stuff. Right. Especially if you're hearing the gospel, you're new to the gospel, any of these things are very good to pay attention to. Also, if you've been saved a while, one of the struggles that you already know a lot about is the struggle between the old self and the new self. It happens a lot, and we're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Paul is laying down something very, a simplistic call to the call of, to the call of walking in Christ, to being the children of light. Jesus affirmed it this way, in 1 John 1, 7, he says, But if we're living in the light as God is, is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. But if we are living in the light, he says, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. Then things are good between us. The blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from everything. What Paul is trying to convey to the Ephesian church is that he wants them to let go of their old life and embrace this new life in Christ. I mean, that's really the hard part of all Christian living. Like, you have a certain way you've lived for a long time, right? And, and probably the most offensive thing about the gospel is having to tell you, yeah, I know how you've lived, and it's uh, uh, unrighteous, and it's sinful, and it's bad, and you need to repent from it, and, you, and, and there needs to be a, a level where you completely understand how far you are from God uh, in that lifestyle, and the way you think, and the way you behave, that the way you think and the way you behave isn't right. It's not right. It's based off your nature. And that's hard because you don't really see that. It's almost subconscious. You're subconsciously this sinner, this, sub, this fallen state. That's, and there, so there's this war always happening within you. 
right? That's why I love to say about the heart, the heart is like a spoiled child. You give it whatever it asks for. Well, my heart wants ice cream, but your body says it's done, right? And you're like, uh, but the heart gets what the heart gets because it will cry, moan, and weep until it gets what it wants. That's why we make mistakes in relationships. That's why we make mistakes in friendships. That's why we're gullible sometimes to trust people we probably shouldn't trust because the heart gets what the heart wants. The heart will want something so bad it will confine your wisdom. It'll mess that thing up, man, and mess intelligence up for you. So there's this struggle, right, between the old life and the new. The transformed life is going to lead to God. It's going to lead to, to, to the Lord, first and foremost. Secondly, it's going to lead to help us build bridges for each other and, and live in unity with each other. Where there, when there is brokenness amongst the body, it usually begins here. It begins right at this place where we're fighting back and forth. As we're walking as a new creature, we're constantly walking back and forth between the new and the old. Constantly. There's this constant fight. And you might have noticed that there really any, you know, in place in this, I know, you know, when First John, he says, you know, if we're living in the light, there might not be any place in Paul's text where he includes the light, but it's really implied everywhere. Because the entire time living in deception, living in deceit is living in the darkness. That's living where you don't see these things. These things are prevalent. Oh, they're everywhere. But the problem is you can't see it because you're not living in the light. So let's talk about that a little bit. There are two distinct sections this is kind of broke down into, and where I'm going to break those sections apart. So let's deal first and foremost like the old life or the way the actual scriptures say it. Uh, I love how Paul says it just right, plain and simple. As the apostle called to the Gentiles, what, is, what does Paul tell the, the church of Ephesus? Don't live like the Gentiles do. <laughs> All right? Listen, I love them. I'm called to them. I'm going to tell you right now, do not live like them. All right? Now, funny, it's a different type of text. The other, the other side of that, don't live like the Gentiles. The other side or the flip side of that coin, we'll get to it in a minute, is after you've heard about Jesus, right? Like when he says, since you've heard about Jesus, and then he goes on to explain that side. So we're going to deal with those two things, addressing the issues of sin in life, and, uh, and we're going to look at what Paul has to say. So first he says, don't live like the Gentiles. What does that mean? What does it mean to not live like the Gentiles? Man, you got to like explain that. Technically, aren't we all Gentiles here? Don't live like these guys here. I mean, basically, uh, in the Bible, it does name uh, basically other races that are included into that. So when it says it came to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile, the idea when Paul says this in Romans that the gospel came first to the Jew is everybody who was of Jewish descent, secondly, everybody else. So Gentile gets wrapped up in not just a bunch of white folks that look like Romans, like any other race that's not Jew is Gentile. And thankfully, Paul, Paul doesn't stop here. He, man, he explains himself. He defines himself what this means. And I think this is, this is a very good explanation or definition as to what it will mean. He goes on to say this. He says, they're hopelessly confused and their minds are full of darkness. And technically, we all begin this way. We don't know any other way, right? We didn't know what the light looked like because nobody ever showed it. We're born in darkness. We don't know anything else. Our nature, human nature, you're born into sin. You have no concept of what light is until you see it for the very first time. Right? When, when this type of language is used, like when we talk about this stuff, they're hopeless and their minds are full. It's a universal language, man. It applies to Jew and Gentile. We live according to our nature. We're no longer this way. John 3.20 says this, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, near it for the 
fear their sins will be exposed. Come on, if you can preach better, I'll give it to you. This is our base understanding of who we are before we heard the gospel. Right? She's fine. She's fine. All do evil. All who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near it. It says, for their sins will be exposed. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, that's, there's a lot of people right there. It's a, this is the base. This is we're lost in dark. Our tendency is to continue there. Our, our tendency is to stay there. Because every time we come close to the light, it reveals just how deep our sins run. Now, let me, let me explain something here. You ever wonder why people avoid church? Like, I know a lot of times we have a tendency to say uh, um, uh, in church, like, oh, well, they're not coming to church. You know, maybe they don't like the people. All church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. And, and often the times I try to, like, diffuse a lot of the situation. I say, absolutely, the church is full of hypocrites. It's full of liars and thieves, too. Who else loves sinners? Only Jesus. Only Jesus accepts sinners. You don't want them in your life. I mean, go read Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Everybody talks about how they're going to get rid of their most unloyal friend, dishonest, lustful, deceitful, hating friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they, you don't need these people in your life. We, I mean, I see so much of that on social media everywhere, right? So basically, all the people you hate, Jesus loves, and they belong in church. So of course you don't want to go to church. That just makes sense. Jesus loves these people. Right? This is where they go. They go to church. So I hear all the time, like, I don't go to church because of all this. I'm not sure that's why you don't go to church. It's not because there's hypocrites. It's not because the church takes up offering. I love how people say that. The church just wants money. Yeah, that's not why you don't come to church. It's not because the church takes up it's, 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 it's always because there's something going on that win the heart. That if I go into a place that all it talks about is the, ex, ex, the exposing of my sin, I don't feel good in church. Well, of course you don't. Of course you don't. Church is never going to make you feel comfortable. Welcome to that news. I know that's a hard one. But it will make you feel loved. You know what the, the church is supposed to do? It's supposed to make you feel accepted. Now, that might be a church issue that we struggle with a lot because here's the problem in church. We tend to fake it a lot. And I'm going to get to that here in a little bit. But we tend to fake it a lot. So we tend to like create this persona like we're okay or like we're all right or like everything's good in our life. And so when somebody comes in that is broken, that's just ready to be accepted by Christ in their brokenness, they don't sense that because I'm, I'm not like here spiritually already. And so there can be some issues there. But I'm going to tell you what, at the end of the day, it always comes down to you always feel uncomfortable walking into the light, into a place that exposes that the things that you think are right might be wrong. And not because I say so. I'm reading it straight out of the Bible. God's word said, listen, man, doesn't matter what I say and think. What matters at the end of the day is what does the Bible say and think? Because it's the, it's the only thing that's right. It's what keeps us from going off track, to be honest with you, because, I mean, let's just, let's just be truthful here. My heart is the same as your heart. It loves what it loves, even things that are not good for me. Or it wants to look at something, maybe an issue of today, maybe a social issue, inequality. I'm going to talk about some of that today, homosexuality. There's some things out there, man, I, know, I have friends with some people that, that are practicing homosexuality. I love them. And, it, and if I wasn't guarded by the word of God as to what is right and true, I could easily fall into the category where I said, man, do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. But the word of God sits contrary to those things, right? So my heart goes, got to line up. I know how you feel, but the word of God says this. 
And that's what the light tends to do, man. It like lays out, man, what's right and wrong. And so every time your heart doesn't line up to it, it doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you feel good. Like, man, I was just so sure that was right. Uh-huh. Ego check. Ego check. Right? This is what he's talking about here, man. We stay away from the darkness because we know we'll be found out. He, go, he went on to say they wander far from the life that God gives. They wander far from the life. God, when we walk in darkness, we become wanderers. We have no idea. And quite frankly, we don't care what God wants for us. When we're in darkness, we have no idea what God wants because we can't see it. We have no idea because we're not close with God. We live in darkness. So we, we really don't even care because we don't know anything about it to care. Right? That's why it's such a revelation news to hear the gospel. When the light is shined on an individual, you mean there's an alternative hope? Like, all I know is I'm going to live and die. I must work hard, pay taxes. What, isn't that the, the bumper sticker? You know? I'm going to live, work, pay taxes, and die. I mean, it's basically your, your whole life, you know? And, and then, like, th- there's more to life than just that, and that doesn't happen until the veil of darkness is pulled back and you can actually see the light, right? That's, the, that's it. The darkness is a veil that we think hides everything selfish, right? It's like we, uh, when... It's like we know when we just want to go and not think about God, so we don't go to church for a while. We do things and we say things and we see things that we shouldn't. And before you know it, it seems so hard to get back into church, to go back before the Lord, because we know that we've wandered away all on our own. It always starts like that. Man, I'm just going to... Listen, there will never be a time where I think missing church or taking a Sunday off is a bad thing. What I will say is that too much of it, of not being around people who also believe... You become vulnerable. I'm going to tell you right now, it's like I saw, I saw, we were driving back from Oklahoma, and one of the things I saw, I said, man, that's dangerous. And, she, and Rachel goes, what? I go, man, the, there's these two sheep out there in the woods by themselves. The rest of the flock is in this open pasture all gathered together. And then there's two in the woods like 400 yards away. And I was like, man, that's dangerous. She's like, what? I said, two by themselves in the woods, man. If anybody can sneak up on you, it's going to be in them trees. Where the, where the gray of a coyote and the brown of the coyote disappear into the fades of the leaves and the trees, man. All of a sudden, the sheep becomes... And you know what? I'm sure they're like, we're going to be different. We're going to be separate. I ain't going to be like all them over there. Look at all them over there flocked together. I'm going to do my own thing. Uh-huh. And you're going to die. I mean, that's, I mean that, that's such a great analogy, by the way, because that's how we are. We all think we're going to be all right. I'm going to do my thing, and it's going to be all right. Just because you haven't got killed yet don't mean it's okay. All right? You keep doing the things that set you up for failure, you are going to fail. You are wandering around when you should be with the group. Doesn't, doesn't mean that, that it's, you can't get away with it once in a while. Like, I'm going I'm to go, I'm going to have a day to myself. That's cool, man. Go have a day to yourself. But remember this, man. I need you like you need me. Because when I'm around a group of believers, I love a pastor who once said, I think some pastors, I think God makes some people pastors so they'll stay saved. And I'm going to tell you right now, like one of the things that holds me to the fire every week about reading the Bible and everything else is the fact that I got to get up here and somehow teach you. Some of you, it's, some of you, it's more easier teaching the others. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Some of you haven't been saved very long. You don't know a lot of the Bible. I sound like a, like a wizard, man. You're like, man, that guy's crazy, right? Some of you around 20 years, like, eh, yeah, he's all right. Right? I mean, like the responsibility of such a thing, right? Hounds upon my heart. Dude, you better bring that junk. You better pray every day because here's the first thing I've learned as a pastor. Everything that com- everything that's in your heart comes out your mouth. <laughs> everything that's in your heart comes out your mouth. And as a pastor, it will come out. 
So you better be honest about it. You better tell the truth about it because it's going to happen. You become a wanderer. Before you know it, you've wandered away all on your own. Next, he goes on to say they have closed their minds and they have hardened their hearts. Now, every single time you hear the word of God, whether you read it or I read it, every time you hear worship music that praises and exalts the name of God, you are exposed to its sovereign rule. Listen, in that moment, you're forced to make a decision. Hear me, because this is serious business right here. This is, if I get, convey anything, it's this, all right? When you hear the word of God and you hear worship music and you hear the Lord's rule, his sovereignty over all things like that, right? In that moment, you're forced to make a decision. Do I listen and allow it to transform my life or do I shut it out and go on about my life? Now, here's why this is important. When we listen and allow it to change our heart, we become transformed into the image of Christ. Good thing, right? But when we fail to listen, our hearts become hardened to it and callous to it. Hebrews 4.12 declares that the word of the Lord God is live and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Here's the predicament. We either give way to its internal probing of our mind and our heart. We either give in to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, use your word to do surgery on me. Or it becomes something that just scars us and mars us. By the way, I see this a lot in church kids that don't have an understanding. They've been pressed upon how important it is to go to church, but they have not been pressed into an understanding. Why should you know Jesus? Why is a relationship with Jesus such a good thing? They, they don't have relationship with God. And so here's what I see amongst a lot of church kids is that the word of God has scarred them to a level or to a point where they no longer listen to the word. They don't hear it. I remember in the last book, if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia and you've gotten to the last book, uh, and in the very last book, there are these group of dwarves and they're sitting around the fire while the world is crumbling around them. Literally, the world is like in an apocalyptic mode and is dying. And the lion and the little girl are standing there and she says, we have to tell them. And he goes, they aren't going to listen. Well, we got to try. And the lion roars, which we know this to be Jesus. And they just go about their merry old day. They never even hear him. I remember being so impacted by like that. How many Christians today, the lion is roaring. And they can't hear it because they've been scarred too much about what they've heard already. They've listened to the lion roar so many times they don't even care. It's not even scary to them anymore. And so like, man, how many, how many of us have been exposed to the word of God and we just let it pass on through us, man? Like even this morning, if you don't listen to it and figure out some way to where that's going to transform your life, if you don't take here and you don't grow from it, it's just scarring you so much so that you will hear it and will not be able to apply it. And, and then it becomes like, well, church is not a, well, and it, it's not that church is a big deal. It's the, it's the words of the Lord are not a big deal to you anymore. That which breathes life into you has become something that numbs you. So dangerous, so dangerous to not respond to the word of the Lord. It'd be better if you didn't go to church at all and have never heard the word than have sat in a pew forever and listened to it and be hardened by it. Do you not realize that? I see this a lot in ministry. I see it a lot in ministry. I see it a lot amongst kids. You know, a lot of, a lot of kids come in and out of the, the ministry. A lot of 
a lot of adults coming out of the ministry. By the way, you know, I mean, statistically, you know, where, where ministries stick their money, they stick their money in, in children's ministry. You know why? Because they say by the age of 13, um, between 0 and 13, you have an 80% probability chance of seeing someone get saved. It's the most interesting piece up there. My kids played with it too all the time. It's okay. The, the, it's, the most, it's, the most, it's the most productive ministry. So why, are we, why do we put all our money in children's ministry? Well, if you go look at any, any church, should be, by the way, if their biggest budget is the children's ministry, they're doing a good job because that's statistically smart wisdom. Second, it's youth ministry. And even there, it drops down considerably, like down to 40-something percent. Half the kids that you had at 13, all of a sudden, half of that group now gets harder and harder. You know what the adult rate is? Less than 20. Think about what that number is. For every 10 people we bring in the church, two adults, 10 adults we bring in, maybe two will actually receive the gospel and change their life. Two. That's statistically what the church looks at. That's why the irony is, is how much money gets put in adult ministry. <laughs> but more and more these days, you're starting to see churches really dive into like all they do. All they do is children. All they do is youth. Why? Because they're the only ones saying yes, guys. Something happens to us as we get older. What do you think that is? How about it's I've heard it so much now. By the way, we're called the Bible Belt if you ain't caught that. Right? I, we've heard the gospel so many times we've become numb to it. And something happens to us as we get older. We're like, I've heard it my whole life. And what else have we heard our whole life? I've heard it my whole life, and I've watched people try to tell me that Jesus is what I need. But we've also watched everybody and how they live, too. The bad part about that is you somehow think that that's not also the work of sanctification. I mean, if you only saw me in the first four or five years of being saved, then all you would have ever seen is this guy who loves Jesus and talks about Jesus and still smokes dope. And so your impression of me was that, man, that guy's never really saved, is he? Am I? Now, look, in 20 years now, what does that look like? Well, it looks like maybe I was just still going through things. Maybe I was just still working things out. See, I think we're naive. I think we're still this microwave generation. I still think the generation before us was the microwave generation a little bit, too, because they wanted to see us saved and sanctified within the first day. The only thing bad about the Pentecostal movement has been that. Because we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit move in believers to the point where we saw instant sanctification happening sometimes with people. So that when it doesn't now, we think they're not saved at all. And it's allowed us to cast judgment and be judgmental and be legalistic. A lot of things, man. That's a, that's a big one. That's such a big, I could just teach only on that one. And I wouldn't cover it all. Next, he says, they got no sense of shame. Gentiles don't have any, any uh, sense of shame. I, I mean, have you ever done something that you've been ashamed of? I mean, if so, that's good. That means your mind's functioning in the light. Because if you're not ashamed of it, then uh, there might be some problems. I remember one time being a, a kid. Uh, I, was, I was in the sixth grade. I thought I'd try my hand at band. And they literally told me, they said, man, I don't think you would be good for this. Uh, we don't think you have any musical talent whatsoever. Uh, great teaching back then, by the way. And... and uh, uh, they, they, I remember being so mad about this, and I really wasn't that good. I've tried to play saxophone. It was kind of horrible at saxophone. I think I was playing the wrong instrument, but at the time, I was a bad kid already. I mean, like, I can't remember a time where I wasn't a bad kid. I think in first grade, I was beating people up. You know what I mean? Like, I was fighting and doing bad things from first grade on. So by the time I was sixth grade, I was really awful. But I remember being ashamed of this one thing. So I'm in the band, and 
I'm not going to get to go on this trip and go play with everybody else. I remember stealing somebody else's stuff and like a few other people's stuff and hiding that junk because if I ain't going, ain't nobody going. They coming. That was like timely, right? And that's exactly what happened, man. Bad boys came for me. I mean, the teachers figured it out real quick, you know. Like, who's the only bad kid we got? Oh, yeah, it's Jim. You know? Why is this guy in band in the first place? He's super bad. Like, if anything, he's going to hurt somebody with an instrument, then play one, right? And they figured it out real quick. And I remember being so ashamed, man. They called my parents up there. I, I like, debated whether I was even going to talk about the story because even to talk about it brings back feelings of hurt. Oh, and, and the sad part is, like, I totally had it coming. But I was still ashamed to have gotten caught and have my parents. It's like one of the first times where I started getting called where my parents would come up. I mean, before, they would just beat me by themselves without my parents around. I mean, like, but that was like one of the first times I remember my parents having to come up and you have to hear your child at sixth grade is a thief. So, I mean, like, ugh, it hurts to even talk about it still today. But that's the point, right? That's the point. It's supposed to. It's supposed to hurt. When you're not ashamed anymore, i got to worry about you. If you're not ashamed of your behavior at times and how you treat other people, I got to worry about you. I, I got short a little bit with a, we, we went out to eat, Rachel and I, this past weekend, and I got a little short with uh, our hostess because it took like forever longer than they actually said it would take for us to get seated. And we were really trying to get to a place at a certain time. And I just got a little short with her. And I just like, you could tell my demeanor had changed. And even Rachel saw I was like, you okay? And I'm like, no, I, sh- I was short with her. I didn't say anything ugly, but I was short with her. And I felt bad. And I was like, I, I wouldn't want to be this where, I'm, where I live. I know I'm not where I live and nobody knows me here, but that doesn't mean I act this way. Right? That's supposed, to, that's supposed to be how you feel. You're supposed to like, even over the littlest things, right? You should feel something like when you are disrespectful to someone else, when you treat someone poorly, when you are not acting in a way that is Christ-like, you should feel some sort of shame. If you are proud or boastful about the way you treat people that is ungodly, you have a problem. You are still struggling amongst the old nature and the new nature. All right? You're allowing the Word of God not to be able to press in and surgery on you where it needs to be. Right? Even the most sensitive stuff. Even the things that seem small. There should be a sense of shame somewhat. There should be something within you. I love, my wife always calls it holy guilt should be a sense of the Holy Spirit within you, man, that's like telling you, this is wrong. This is wrong. How you are talking is wrong. Get a hold of yourself, right? I can do all things through Christ, which means also control my attitude, control the the words that come out of my mouth, the way I speak, my demeanor, how I handle, how I talk to people. There's no excuse. So I repent. I forgive myself. I move on. But that shame allows me to find repentance. All right? Gentiles, they have no sense of shame. Lost people, no sense of shame. Romans 6, 21, what benefit did you reap from, at the time from the things that you're now ashamed of? He says those things result in death, right? One of the things I wrote down in my own notes here, I said, man, quit bragging then. Quit bragging about how things used to be and start placing value on the things that you're experiencing today. There's a fine line between telling someone your testimony and glorifying your testimony. You're here to glorify Jesus, which means that in your testimony, it needs to be something to the degree of this was bad. How I was was not good. I am not telling you this to glorify how bad I was. What I'm telling you, if I, if I, 
If I tell you how bad I was, it's to tell you how deep the hole I had dug for myself and how much God had to reach in there to pull me out so that you could see Jesus in all his glory in my story. I'm not bragging when I say I've done all these drugs or I've drank or I have addiction issues. Those aren't bragging. Those are things I'm ashamed of. But if I don't admit those things, then how will you ever see God in my life? But there is a fine line between like bragging about the old days and telling someone your testimony. <laughs> that has to stop. Your old life is your old life. Your old life is your own life. While you might feel the shame of your folly, Christ does promise this thing, though, that, that it's temporary because he offers grace through salvation, right? He, it, it, it trumps shame. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Aren't you happy about that? All the things you've done are wiped away. It's all made new. You don't have to feel the shame of those things. There's no condemnation, right? I have found in my life there's only two individuals that continue to reap condemnation on me. That's the devil and me. Because as soon as I said, Lord, forgive me, the Bible is solid and says he forgives and forgets. That means the only person that brings up anything shameful or condemning is mostly me. And a lot of times I think I give more credit to the devil than he actually does. I think he doesn't have to do much. I think he like watches human nature and goes, watch him just beat himself up. And then maybe some timely things will just happen, right, that he'll just engineer you know, and it just makes it work. It just heaps coals on stuff that I was already heaping on myself. And then all of a sudden I'm self-loathing. I'm sitting in my own condemnation. I'm, oh man, I've got Jesus could never love me. And that's false. He loves you just like you are, man. Just like you are. There's no condemnation in Christ. Lastly, in this, he says, the Gentiles, they live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. As soon as you start to mention the word darkness, somewhere deep down in the heart of every human being, some form of lust rises up. Now listen, lust for every sort of, most of it, for every abomination we can think of, the longer we live in the dark, the more it grows. The Old Testament said that if you did these acts, it was sin. Jesus said as soon as the thought crossed your mind, it was sin. Like, by the way, it's for all our love for Jesus. It's funny to me that Jesus backed the lineup. <laughs> like, when we were by the law, legalism could have been a whole lot easier when it wasn't like, I didn't, totally didn't kill my neighbor for talking to me that way. I just thought it. Well, that's not sin. Mosaic law. So you're like, see, I'm totally righteous still. Just only thought it. Jesus is like, no, man, once you thought it, like that whole pre-prepared plan, how you got the mask and you like see aside that joker in your head and uh, you had planned out the getaway, knew who was going to help you because you found out who didn't like that guy either. And like you planned all that junk. Uh, yeah, that's sin, guys. <laughs> oh, I'm the only one that see aside something. Okay. Everybody look at me weird. Like, I, ain't nobody ever thought about it. like I would, man, that's, I don't know. I've watched a few movies in my life. Like, I would have never done it that way. I, I like already had the plan laid out. There's only a very few movies where I said, that's exactly me. I totally would have done it just like that. You know, I mean, like, you think like that. Why? Because uh, uh, welcome to your nature. All right? That's why you got to be careful about what you watch, what you're looking at, what you're seeing. All that stuff is important. All that stuff is important. Unfortunately, we see all this today. We see how lust works in this kind of worldwide scale today. We see, uh, uh, we see it in our lust for sex. That movie's everywhere about it. Come on, man. 
everywhere. You can't hardly watch anything today. We can't even, we're like uh, talking about the Disney stuff just, just the other day. Disney here lately, putting out their first homosexual couples on Disney. So we're going to train our children up now to say that that is okay. Um, that, it all stems from the same thing, man. It stems from our lust to what? Be happy, to have passion, to have, to have love, to have... Those things aren't bad to want, but if we lust for them in a certain way that's not right, it creates these different things that are like... Uh, uh, that are just wrong, that are sin, right? Our lust for sex and promiscuous sex and adultery, it leads to adultery. It leads to fornication, man, which ultimately creates the problem of abortion, right? I mean, it's, it's our lust. It starts somewhere, right? The seed of lust creates all these things. Lust, you want something you cannot have. Like, I want marriage, but like, not really. So I'm just, but I want all the benefits of marriage without actually having to be married. So lust creates the opportunity for promiscuous sex, Lust creates the opportunity for things. I want to be happy, but I don't find myself happy with this. Seems like I can only be happy with people of my same type. So you know what? I'm just giving myself over to homosexuality because that's the only way I can really be happy. I tried my hand at this. It doesn't it didn't fit for me. Right? The same lust created this homosexual movement. It's created the transgender moment, movement, which has created identity issues. Right? Our lust for stuff has created a global materialistic generation that that's all they sing about is girls and stuff. Drives me nuts. They've got this skewed idea of equality. Like if we just take from everybody and equal everybody, it's going to be fine. No, it's not. You can't listen. By the way, they've had poor since the days of Jesus, and there isn't enough education in the world to take the mentality of being poor out of somebody who wants to be poor. Period. That's just how it is. There will always be the poor amongst us. There will always be some who work harder than others. There will always be that. Taking money from what you didn't earn stems from lust. The Bible says when you don't work, you don't eat. It says it. Doesn't mean we're not here to help the poor. Doesn't mean that the, those who have aren't supposed to help those who have not. Don't, don't get me wrong here, all right? But what I'm saying is some of this is skewed from bad thinking. And it starts from lust, right? This idea of equality that we see today in America is not the equality that the Bible talks about. It's not. Go research what the Bible talks about. Jesus never says that the poor should have everybody else's wealth. He says there will always be the poor amongst you. What does he spend most of his time doing? Anything that he has, he gives what? To the poor. But making people do it is not the same as loving people into it. It's different, man. Listen, the reason the government is the way it is, the reason we have all these problems right now, you know this is right, it's because the church doesn't, is not stepped up. I mean, we've often said that if the church, everybody just paid their tithe. We've, this has been a global thing. Everybody says this. been saying it for years. If everybody just paid their tithe, we could take care of all the orphans. We could take care of all the, all the, the poor. We could make sure that they had places to sleep. We could, if everybody just paid their tithe, just the 10% of your paycheck, the church could totally take care of all of it. But that's not happening. Only 20% of churches tithe. 20% of a church tithes. It's always usually a small amount making the big amount. The irony is that the 80%, they got a voice, though. They like to talk even about what they don't give. And, man, that list goes on and on. I mean, we can go a long ways on that whole list, but it starts there. It starts in the darkness. It starts with lust, lust of the heart, the things we want, the things we want to see done. We want to be good. Why do you want to be good? Or you want to be good for Christ? Because if you want to be good for Christ, if you want to be good because you want to be Jesus, then you're going to do it according to his word and according to his glory so that he would get all the glory for it. If you're wanting to make yourself look good, that's a different story. But let's flip this coin, right? This is 
Don't be like the Gentiles. Now let's flip it to this. Uh, uh, since you have heard about Jesus, now things change, right? You didn't know about the gospel. So all these things, totally forgivable, by the way. All that stuff we just talked about, totally forgivable stuff. So now that you've heard about Christ, the, the coin changes there. It flips. We know what we know what God doesn't want us to be like. He wants us to walk away from our old life. He wants us to allow His Word to transform us into new creations. Paul gave the Ephesians this overview, and, 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 there, and we could get more detail into it, but let's look at this also, this section. We're just kind of overview it. He, first of all, he said, be te- basically, he says, be teachable, right? Re- immediately, he says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him. This isn't what you've learned. This is what you've learned. You've, you're teachable. Be teachable. We must continue to read God's Word. That's the only way we're going to know Him, guys. You ain't going to know Jesus by listening to me 20 minutes out of the week. You're going to know Jesus because you pray and because you read, his body and you read the Word. All right, That's His Word to you. When we read God's Word, we are reading life into our heart, our soul, and our mind, and it continues to grow us in Him. There's an old saying, if you're not growing, you're dying. Simple as that. It's true. Even as people, about as soon as we stop physically growing, we are in decline mode. Amen? Man, I've, 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 I've got a, there, there's a line that I've always liked in a song that says, that talks about the things that, you know, as I, as basically as you get older, you know, the, the two things that you see is the lines on your face and gravity. Two things you come to know real well as you get older. That's just how it is. How it is. We stop physically going, we're in decline mode. But however, if we can continue to grow in Christ, our physical bodies might stop growing, but our spirit does not. And when we get to heaven, which one do you think is going to matter? Which one do you think is going to matter? This life is a vapor. Those of you who got some grown-up kids, you already know. It's over. Your high school days are behind you. Your 20s are gone. I'm feeling it myself. Right? My 30s are done. I'm stepped into my 40s now. I'm seeing my first kid going to college. All, there are certain days that are just behind me. I'm not getting them back. I've got to start and continue to invest in what is important. Right? Wish I'd have done this better in my 20s. I wish I'd have learned this in my 20s. I think the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my, in my 20s and, and early 30s was as I worked really hard to try to take care of my family, the greatest thing that ever happened to me at some point I realized that I don't want to die. And on my, on my gravestone, y'all heard me say this before, on my gravestone it say best employee, best employer. It better say best dad and best husband. And, and if it doesn't, I haven't spent enough time doing that. What are the most important things for us in life? And if you're not investing in that right now, then you're wasting your life. And if you think it's your job, you're kidding yourself. Unless your job is somehow benefiting and and growing people and helping other relationships in life, the only thing that's going to heaven with you is your friends, if they know Jesus. So what, If you know, the Bible talks about all the time, what goods is all the stuff, man? You can put it in barns upon barns, but it ain't coming with you. But you know what is coming with me? My wife. You know what else is coming to heaven with me? My kids. That's coming to heaven. You know what else is coming with me? You. So you think this is a waste of my time? This is why I would waste all my week praying for you and, 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 and spend time with you. Why? Because you're coming with me. Because the investments that I make, I'm making eternal investments. 
I learned early on, man, I, I tell you, the best thing that ever happened to me is in my, in my 20s and 30s, realizing how much I've wasted of my 20s doing, hunting money down, hunting stuff down, when I should have been building relationships, when I should have been building friendships. Secondly, he says, basically let go. He says, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So he's saying, let go, right? I recently wrote a, I've been, I've been in like a writing mode lately. I, I play a lot of music. Before I was a worship pastor and, and did stuff with worship, I, I played a lot. By, by the time I turned 19, I got a guitar. Somebody got me at a, at a garage sale. My aunt did. It had like one volume knob and and it was awesome, and I played it for a long time, and I learned how to play guitar, and I learned how to write songs and things like that. And uh, one of the songs that uh, I recently have wrote about, I, I call it Kaufman. It's about where I grew up, although the name Kaufman doesn't exist. It could be really anywhere you wanted to make it yourself. Uh, but I talk about growing up on the east side of Dallas on a, on a big piece of property, and I talk about growing up there. And uh, in the song, one of the things that I talk about is how much it's changed. I mean, literally one of the lines I wrote, I said, man, I heard it's changed and grown and the country's gone, and I'm not sure if I could ever take that. And it's one of the reasons I've never gone back. Because there are some things about my past, right, that, that, that seem, that, that were the good parts. But even the good parts, there are some things I can't go back to. I have to let those things go. You know, in 20 years, this is part of the song, in 20 years, I've never gone back. I graduated Kaufman, Texas. I went into the United States Marine Corps. And I went back and I lived in Terrell, which is a little bit, about 14 miles from Kaufman. I met Joy. I chased her back to Washington State twice, lived in Terrell a little while longer, and then came down here. But I never went back to Kaufman. A 10-year reunion came and went. Never saw any of them. 15-year, never saw them. 20 years, never saw them. I think we just had the 25, never saw them. I hope they lived their life well. There's no going back for me. There's nothing there for me. There's nothing there. There's no going back for me. I don't, there's nothing I need to go see back there. It's, it's, it's old. It's, there, I don't need to relieve any glory days. What glory did I have there? I spent most of it on drugs and drinking. They would not know me. It's like you know me today. They would not call me Pastor Jim. They wouldn't call me Jim at all. They'd call me Jimmy. Because the way Joy will tell you, Jimmy was a different guy. She met Jimmy. But she's happy to be married to Jim. Two different guys. The only thing that lays back for me at Kaufman is the old nature. Because that's what it'll feel like. It'll be like wearing clothes that I ain't worn in a long time. And I'll be around people that's, that's all they'll talk about is about how I was this way and how I was that way. And yeah, there could be some ministry to that for me to be able to, get, you know, but for me, there's just nothing there for me. I ain't never going back. At some point in our life, I think there are some things we just got to let go of. For you, it might not be that for you. You might not have like an attachment like that I did to a place because I did love it. I do love small towns. It gave me a love and a passion for small towns. I graduated with 75 people. Proud of that. I'm proud that I was East Texas redneck. I still got, I still got the draw when I need it. You know, when I get back over in East Texas, I love how East Texans talk. They slow it on down, and you can hear the talk, the way they say things when they go out there to the post oaks and mesquite trees, and we slow it on down, and we talk a little bit different down there. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, I love it. I love it. You know, here y'all talk a little bit faster. Y'all been westernized a little bit by these Californians. I forgive you. But still back in the backwoods, there's a lot of things I loved about it. I still love it. But I don't love who I was there. I had to let that side of me go. I had to know that there's nothing back there for me. There's nothing back there. There's no t there I'm never going to be able to minister to them like I can here. 
because when I go back there, I'm just this guy's a drug dealer who's obviously crazy because he's preaching and Jim must have lost his mind somewhere because he's crazy. And that's what I'll be. You know, the, the irony is in all the preaching I've done back when I've gone to Terrell even, I think I've only had one person actually come and listen from the old days. And even then, they're like still shocked. They're like, I can't believe it. I came just to hear it because I didn't believe it. Like, there's just no way. You know, well, the Lord is a big God, amen? There were some things that I had to let go. Seriously, let go. Let go of the way you were. Quit glorifying it. Quit making it seem better than it really was. I mean, I try to, even, even when they want to talk glory day stuff with me. Man, I did drugs and alcohol. Sold a lot of drugs, hung around a lot of dudes that were some serious heavyweight guys. That doesn't make me anything. It makes me what? Pretty much scum of the earth to most people. I drank so much and drove so much, I'm sure I could have killed somebody if you gave me long enough. Probably if I lived in a more populated town, it would have definitely happened. I'm not a hero. I'm an idiot. I, man, somehow God spared me through making some of the most horriblest mistakes. And if it wasn't for living in a small town, I'm telling you, I'd have been in jail a lot sooner. I could not have grown up in the day and age that our kids are growing up in or I'd be in jail. They tolerated a lot of stuff back then they don't tolerate now. So I, there's no point in making it out or making it seem better than it was. Embrace the plan that God has for you. You don't have to live in shame, so why do you continue to do it? It isn't cool, it's foolish. I once told the kids one time, there's a reason that cool and fool are only separated by one letter. All right? Almost done here. Renew yourself through the Holy Spirit. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Notice here that the main function for renewing yourself revolves around your thoughts and revolves around your attitude. Why the thoughts? Because thoughts control your actions. Whatever you're thinking, it's usually a tendency of what you do. This is the same reason John shouted, we talked about this, prove by the way that you live. It's the same reason we talk about it. The things that you think about eventually become action. They just will. If your actions are not the same actions at Christ, then there will be definitely be an internal struggle with what God wants for you and with what you want for you. Which, by the way, I see this a lot. Most of us struggle right here. We have an idea of what we want for us and what we see as success in ministry or success in life. And then there's this idea of what God wants for us <clears throat> and there's a huge struggle in between. There's a huge struggle. And a lot of times we have to ask ourselves, what do I really want? Do I really want God's will or do I want to be popular? Or do I want to be seen as successful? Or do I want to be seen as, as something else by all these people? Which one do I want seeing me? People or God? And believe me, that it sounds easy. Like, of course, God. Uh, it's not that easy. Can I tell you, even as me, I, I've been trained and taught <clears throat> the Assemblies of God, one thing they did good is they teach and they train really good. I, there is no question that I have been given the tools, the books, the conferences, and the resources by which to plant a church and grow a church, double in its size, do whatever it needs to do to pack the house and grow a big, large, fancy church. Matter of fact, I see it even when I watch the church plants that are here locally. They are doing it by the book. And we could totally do that. The problem that I have is, it, is I don't believe in it. Now, let me tell you, well, okay, if you don't believe in this, no, no big deal. Well, here's why it's hard. Well, you don't think that I wouldn't want to be uh, seen as a great pastor? You don't think that that is seductive? 
You don't think it's seductive to be uh, uh, seen as somebody who's a great leader or seen in the eyes of men who maybe I would look at as peers or whatever as being seen as smart enough and, and, and strong enough and, and uh, having the abilities or the leadership ability. Man, the temptation to appease men at times is so great, it's hard to follow God. And man, if you, can't, if, if you, if you don't understand that, I haven't said it good enough because, man, that is so true. It is so hard to choose whether I'm appeasing people or I'm, a choose, I'm, I'm appeasing God. Am I, somebody asked me, says, man, there's really no tangible way to tell you know, if someone really is doing what's right. Well, there's only one tangible success. There's only one tangible thing that's success in ministry, and that's obedience. And the sad part is only you can know. Only you can know that, and people will judge you to the T, but only you can know if you're being obedient to the Lord. I will say this. If your obedience looks contrary to the Word of God you're probably not being obedient. So if you think your life, if you're being being obedient to the Lord with what the Lord's will is in my life, is the what you're doing in your life contrary to the word of God? If it is, then it is not the will of God. Period. Period. How you feel does not dictate what scripture is or says. What you've experienced does not change nor dictate the interpretation of scripture. It is what it is, whether you like it or not. Just so we understand that. <clears throat> John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my, di- your disciples, you're my disciples if you love one another. People can tell if you're a disciple of Christ or not. If the church is full or empty, if, because the world can tell who your disciples are and who, who they're not, man. They can tell, man. They can tell. And it doesn't matter if you go to church or not, they can tell. Because everybody knows that one person in church. I'm like, man, that person ain't even saved. They go to church. If you've been to additional church, I've been to a bunch of churches, man, where like people like, they'll even talk in the Holy Ghost. And, I, and I'm like, Lord, I know you can make a mule talk, but come on. How come, how come people who, you know, sometimes are supposed to be the most holiest ones, man, are the meanest? That's not, that's not how it should be. Something's not right there. All right? We should be able to see that you love Jesus by how you love other people. And if you're not very friendly to other people, there's a pretty good chance you don't have a strong connection with Jesus. You can't hate the people he loves. That's not how it works. This is not how it works. As far as attitudes go, if the heart changes, your attitude will change. And everyone needs help here, including me. Like I told you, even this past weekend. Let me get a little late on the schedule and see all of a sudden, a little hungry and a little late. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you know, right? Our attitudes should reflect the same grace and mercy that has saved us. Lastly, and we'll bring the worship back up. Lastly, put on your new nature. This is the last exhortation. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Be truly righteous and holy. It's like buying a suit. Like my, my dad this, did this for me when I first was going to start preaching here in Marble Falls, man. They were like, okay, we're going to go buy, we're going to buy you a suit. It's what we want to do for you. Uh, uh, and, and at that time, I literally had to come and, and preach and do worship and everything in a suit. Which, by the way, playing worship and guitar and everything in a suit is hard. All right? It is nothing comfortable to it. And, and it's so constrictive. And so anybody can do it. You need to, like, praise God that they can because it's hard. But when you buy a suit, you get it fit. And it was something, you know, I had never really bought a suit that was tailored. And so they, they, they brought in the tailor, and he comes in, and he measures you out, right? And it feels good. I'm not going to lie, man. When you get a suit that's tailored for you, and you walk, and it's, it fits exactly where it needs to be on the, on the hands and... Man, it's sharp. It's sharp to wear a suit that's tailored for you. Um, now, 
here's the thing about that. In time, it might need to be let in, more likely let out, but sometimes it needs to be fixed along the way. It'll definitely need some adjusting, but make no mistake about wearing the suit like anything else. It starts with you putting it on. <laughs> it starts with you putting on. You want to be the new creation in Christ, it starts with wearing it. All right? We'll make adjustments along the way, but we've got to get you in the suit first. All right? You like this suit? Oh, you picked this one out? Mr. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you, uh, this is the one we're going to do. So I put it on, and it's like arms come like past my hands by like, you know, four inches, and the feet, you know, I'm like uh, trying not to step on it, so I'm like lifting it all up, you know, and everything. And this thing is all, it's made for like where anybody can put it on, and they're going to tailor it to you. So I put on the new creation of Christ, and it's all weird on me at first, right? And I put on this suit, but little by little, God's like sniffing away. Hey, man, we're going to make this work for you. We're going to make this work for you. Right now, man, you're like a, a, you're like a little skin and bone uh, kid because you're spiritually depraved. You have no, like, substance. What's you, you, so you've been drinking milk. You're a little baby. It's like you got no bone, muscle structure. Your head's all wobbly. And, and, but that's all right. We're going to work you out a little bit. We're going to give you some spiritual. We're, we're going to start the spiritual workout of your life. And a little bit by little bit, we're going to, uh, that things are going to change on this suit. So how, I know it doesn't fit you well right now, but we can't cut it all off. We're going to sew it up in there so that as you as you grow a little bit, we can release some of this and retailer it to you to make it fit better. So it fits you right now, and then a year later, when you even it's still going to fit you because we're going to tailor it as we go. I'm going to I'm going to come alongside you, Jim, and I'm going to cut away the things that need to be cut away, and I'm going to add where things need to be added. And as you spiritually grow, we're going to let this thing out a little bit. Some in areas more than others, and 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 it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice suit. You're gonna like this thing, and we're gonna walk this thing together. And I'm always gonna be here to tailor it for you, Jim. It's gonna it's gonna work itself out. I promise you. And for for ladies, maybe it's not a suit. Maybe it's a dress. Something that's really nice that that's only for you. And the cool thing is, my suit only fits me. Jesus tailors it directly for me, just like He tailors it directly for you. We put on the new creature, and it's created to be like God. So that and guess what? When I look at Jesus, you know what suit He's wearing? Same suit I am. So that people, I was like, man. And you know what they say? Are you guys brothers? You know, I used to get that with Pastor Robert all the time. You guys brothers? Yep. Yep. We had different dads. We had different moms is what we call them. Same, same father. Different moms. That's what we used to say. But yeah. Same suit. Why? Because we, we, we look a lot alike. Why? What's, what's happening? Man, I, Really, I'm just wanting to be like him. So I start wearing the same suit. He, I'm really just, I asked to wear the same suit he was wearing because I want to be like him, right? So I grab the same suit so I can look just like him. And that's, that's, how, we, that's how it is with the Lord. We want to look just like him, so we tailor this, cre- this new creature in Christ to look just like him. That's the whole goal. And we don't realize we're doing it, by the way. I think it's all my idea. You know why? Because it's the only thing I see. I'm looking and I'm like, I don't know how to, what, what, what kind of suit do I want? Well, yours looks pretty good. I'll just get one like yours because I don't see any other selection here. The only one that's trying to save my soul is Jesus. So I'll just look like him. How about that, you know? And inadvertently, I'm becoming the image of Christ to the world. And I'm like, man, the only Jesus I saw in my life was through individuals who look like Jesus. The only new creatures I saw in my life are those who look like Jesus. You, you guys, man. I saw you be Jesus, man, when somebody, has, when somebody has a friend who's struggling with cancer, struggling with bills. So you're going to go be Jesus to them. When you're praying for somebody that's hurt, when you got somebody sick, when you're trying to recover and somebody's praying for you, when, when you go to somebody's house and you fix them dinner, when we meet around for Wednesdays and we're just listening to somebody's problems, how was your day? Oh, it was great. And I want to hear about the good things that happened. You know, in those moments, I get to be Jesus. Those are little moments. But by the way, 
every moment wasn't this gigantic, unbelievable, every, the birds stopped chirping moments amongst the disciples. Now, a lot of the times, that's the stuff we get to hear. There was some drama, definitely. Peter was called the devil at one point. You know that was some good stuff to listen to if you like drama. But, but there was also times, you know, that Jesus sat down and he laughed. There's sometimes, like I always love the movies when they show Jesus smiling about something or laughing about something. I'm like, you know he had a sense of humor. Come on. He was like us in all ways, which means he had to have a sense of humor about things. And if you look a lot of the times at who he picked out as his apostles, he had a sense of humor. All right? I mean, come on. His apostles, the guys who we the, built the church, we literally see at times in the scripture where they cuss. Think about this, guys. I mean, if I was to tell you that church was, like, if I was to tell you, like, you know what? We started this church. We was all cussing, and we're not now. It's been, like, a couple years. You know, <clears throat> can you imagine somebody who's only been saved for three years starting and planning a church that would just launch out and go crazy? Man, most of three years into being saved, I'm still smoking dope. I'm still trying to get clear of some things. I'm still, but we look at what they threw on the new creation, man. I don't think they were perfect. By the way, if you go read the book of Acts, you'll find out Peter wasn't perfect at all. Don't get me wrong. They idolize Acts too. When he stands up there and he preaches and 3,000 get saved. But what you fail to see is the part where he, like later on he's praying about uh, uh, praying to Jesus and Jesus comes to him. And this is the guy who wouldn't eat pork, remember? Didn't want nothing to do with the Gentiles. By the way, he wasn't the apostle called to the Gentiles. Didn't, want, didn't like a lot of the things they did. Didn't like anything to want to do with them. But the, the first Gentile that comes to the Lord comes at the hands of Peter. And he didn't want to do it. God had to talk to him in his prayer time and say, no, this guy is coming to your house. You are going to lay hands on him. And the Holy Spirit's going to happen. And you're going to see the Gentile. And you will know that my word has gone out to the Gentiles. So that when Paul would come and lay on and go, I've been called to the Gentiles. There wasn't, Peter wasn't going to say, uh-uh. As a spiritual father to the church, you know what he said? Nothing. Go go I don't like it who was it Paul says he has to get on Peter at one point for not eating pork right because he's condemning the Gentiles for not being circumcised and he's condemning the Gentiles for for not eating pork because that's a Jewish thing and Paul has to get on him dude why are you the legalistic here like the irony is the Pharisee calling the guy who's all been given a grace gospel a Pharisee at this moment that's such the irony there. The legalist looking at the guy who's not supposed to be the legalist and saying, you're being legal. It's not built off perfection. It's built off effort. We, we pursue the image of Jesus. Every time we say it, every time we sing it, we're pursuing the image of Christ. We're taking off the old and putting on the new. Amen? Stand to your feet.